I want to continue on what I've been talking about with the voice. And last week I touched on some areas as we're going through Genesis, and I know that um, I know that there's various opinions about what the first chapters of Genesis are telling us. Not telling us in the story, but telling us in what, that, well, is it literal? Are we really talking about two people and a serpent? Or is that figurative? Is that what the author was giving us trying to describe something that was happening? Or is the whole stories in the first chapters of Genesis, are they allegorical, giving us what, was the, the, what God was doing, how he was interacting with humanity? And actually, all three of those views are very prominent in the church. And I'm not here necessarily trying to argue for the absolute rightness of a particular view. I have the area where I lean. That doesn't mean you have to lean that way. Uh, but it is where I'm coming from. And so, you know, so as we're going through, um, going through this, my, my, my heart in not only in Genesis, but as we move on past Genesis, is to help us see, as I said last week, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. Scripture tells us that. But at the same time that God doesn't change, he does use a different voice to talk into humanity where humanity is. And so we actually had a, we've had a full house at the, at the end this weekend, and I got into a fairly lengthy discussion with one of the people that was staying there about whether things are getting better or things are getting worse. <clears throat> yeah, and we finally agreed that we needed to do something else in the course of the day besides that, so we, we finally went, well, and we've run out of coffee and I'm not making any more, so you go to the beach and I'll go do what I'm going to do today, but... Obviously, anybody, if you get into one of those discussions, we each have plenty of ammunition to back up both sides. So, I don't know. Is it getting better or isn't it getting better? Again, I have my opinion. And because I'm right, then I can just wait for you to come to me as you progress and mature. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Open this, the Bible. Open the scriptures. Genesis chapter 2. So last week we were looking at dominion, what dominion was in, in, intended to be, that the fact that when um, uh, Yahweh Elohim, and I'm using that term a lot here in these early weeks, because when we first started looking at Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis speaks of God using the term Elohim, which just means 
God, any God, no God in particular. Could be Elohims. There could be, you know, you could say there's multiple gods. It's just a Hebrew word that denotes God. And we, in the, so in the beginning it says Elohim created and Elohim created. And then we saw where it shifts and it went from just Elohim to Yahweh Elohim, which for the Hebrew, that was very distinct. There's one God, Yahweh Elohim. There is no other gods. And he is, you know, later, well, as we'll see, he is the I am. But for where we're at in creation, and as they're get, beginning to learn and, and hear the voice of Yahweh, what, what are they saying? This is Yahweh Elohim. This is the God. This is the God of the voice. And again, as we progress on, we're going to see there are gods that we create, but they have no voice. Because if I create the God, then I have to animate the God. If I'm created by God, then he's the animator. And I am his animation. You are his animation. So the, 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 when we looked at that before, it's a very critical point when the writer says, Yahweh Elohim because he's talking about one God. <clears throat> okay, Genesis 2, starting with verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded him, saying, You may surely eat every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone, and I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed, and every time it's saying Lord God, that is Yahweh Elohim. That's what it is in the Hebrew. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and every beast of the field. But Adam, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So let's just stop there for a minute. Uh, it's kind of a side thought. But when we start talking about the trees and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was... It has been placed in man. It was placed from the very beginning in man to be a pursuer of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. So Adam, as part of exhibiting dominion, Adam is in this place where part of the, his job description was to name the animals. Now, whenever we talk about the name, we just, I mean, it was, I love that song, the name about the name of Jesus. You know, when we talk about the name of Jesus, or we talk about naming the animals, what was the wisdom that, that Adam was operating from? Is that he had the ability to look at the animal, and in naming it, he wasn't just pulling it off a list somewhere, but he was literally speaking the nature and the characteristic of the animal in the name that he gave it. 
And I don't know, this is pure speculation, but it's at least fun to play with. I don't know if it wasn't that as, an, as Adam gave the animal the name, he was actually releasing the characteristic of the animal as opposed to seeing it and then trying to describe it. He was literally releasing it on the earth. So when the animal received its name, it now began to move in the characteristic of its name. That's the direction I lean to. I'm not sure what the flannel graph says about that. That's why we don't have anything up here about it. So within Adam, within him being created, man being created, there is this, there, there is this uh, what would be the word? Not value, but it's intrinsic in us to pursue knowledge, to pursue understanding. And I think that that is really key when we start in a few minutes, when we look at the verses and we start looking at what happens when woman steps in and now start, comes to this place that's called the, temp, the deception. So, okay, let's just read on. So that's just it. We're, we're created. Every one of us in here. I mean, we, some of us downplay learning, but have you... It is a basic human characteristic that humans learn. We just do it naturally. You take a baby and you watch that baby and from moment first entry into, onto planet Earth, outside of the womb, that baby, well actually it's in, uh, in the womb it happens, but they're learning. They're learning. They're watching. They're watching, you know, I mean... What, what do we all love to do with a newborn baby? And what are you trying to do? You want the baby to smile at you. So you smile at the baby. It smiles back. We all feel good about that. So, but what's happening? <clears throat> The infant is learning. It's watching, watching the facial expressions of the parent, and it's now learning to make those same expressions. You know, we call it bonding. There's a lot of other names you can put to it. But basically, from day one, human beings learn and will continue to learn, both negative and positive. But we learn. Okay, moving on. So Adam, he doesn't help have anybody to help him. So verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken out of man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, Shazam. <laughs> yeah. Is the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> verse 24, therefore, well, no, verse 23, he didn't say Shazam. <laughs> this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. We talked about last week what that actually means. 
because she was taken out a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And as we said, as of last week, you still have to look at these guys like they're naked. They, I, don't, I don't know where they got their bathing suits. Yeah. They're all on sale right now. Could you explain? It says, man shall leave his father and his mother. Adam didn't have a father and mother. I know. I thought I could just... Thanks, Knowledge, wisdom. I'm, I'm just focusing on the voice. Okay. There are some other ideas or views as, as various people look at the scriptures and arrive at some conclusions. One of, one of the other interpretations of this whole section is that Adam and Eve were not two individual people, but actually represent humanity as a whole. And what the writer is trying to show us is this is how humanity after being created, now we're not talking about everybody you know, started as a tadpole and went on to be something else. It's God created, but when he created, he did not just create two individuals. And then after this, these verses that we're reading, those two individuals got really busy <laughs> populating the earth, which is why Adam had to get all the animals named first Because there just isn't time to do everything. Um, and that what what the writer uh, of Hebrew or writer writer of Genesis is really showing us, trying to give us, is this is at the beginning of humanity, at the beginning of humanity being created by God. This is what unfolded from that. Um, and if you take that line of thinking, this verse makes sense because there was already humanity on the earth, not just two people. Um, and as far as Gump would say, and I think that's all I'm going to say about that. You can explore that again. I have, I have, my, I have my view of this. And, and again, I'm not really trying here in Genesis to to argue or teach, here's the way it is and this is what you should see. I have some places where I've arrived at what I consider some changes for me theologically. Um, I'm not resolved yet with a lot of that and I'm still open to what does the interpretation mean? What I do know that it means is that whether we're talking about two people individually or we're talking about humanity coming forth, either way, a major problem arises, and we're still dealing with that problem. And I think that, you know, that's what the writers are really trying to give us, is in the beginning, 
this is how we got in the dilemma that we're in. And these are the effects we're feeling. So, um, did I dodge that okay? That's what I thought. That's what I'm trying to, that's my whole purpose here. <clears throat> so, jump over to Genesis 3, and we're going to get down to the, the points for today. Genesis 3, starting with verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than all the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So, this is where I want to kind of land here, or this is where I want to walk through today, is this whole, this whole next piece. Because what, um, a couple things to maybe to just create um, some context maybe. It's interesting to me that regardless of what the flannel graph has told us, that the word sin nowhere appears in anything I just read. Some will say, well, this was the original sin. But the Bible doesn't say this is original sin. It's what it tells us is a story about how a dialogue was held and a conclusion was arrived that became very problematic. That's what it's telling us, right? Well, you don't have to agree with that. I shouldn't ask you to agree. I'm just telling you, that's... That's how I see it. Because what we know when we read through Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Never said you can't touch it, so don't eat it. So this dialogue that starts... And again, the flannel graph told us, I don't, have a, I don't have a serpent. But anyway, the flannel graph tells us that, you know, there's this serpent. And some would say it was a snake, because they don't like snakes. <laughs> Just like we're told the woman ate an apple, because you don't like apples. Because all the Bible ever tells us is that there was some fruit that she was able to eat of the tree, and that fruit created a problem. So 
here's, here's a couple things. One, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The, the word good in the Hebrew has several, means several things that are, that are all kind of within the word good. One, it's pleasant, agreeable to the senses. Two, it's good to the sight. It's fair to look upon. Like, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a fair woman that I'm looking at, or however you would, you know, that, that way of using the word fair. Three, it's good to the taste. It's good. It's, has a, it's sweet and agreeable. It's good to the smell. It's sweet-scented like an ointment. So within this thing of good, all those things are included in that word good. In the Hebrew, in the word evil, it means bad, disagreeable, malignant, unpleasant, giving pain, unhappiness, and misery. I find it interesting that many of us with our flannel graph story, we've made the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to be a moral compass. But this was all about morality. But in neither of those definitions is morality really touched. It's all about sensory things. It's, I have the ability, something that's pleasant and agreeable to my senses. It's fair to look at. It's pleasing to my eye. It's pleasing to my taste. It's pleasing to my smell. So I, within this context of good, it's everything that comes to me at a sensory level, not what comes out of me in a moral level. And the word evil, something that's bad, it's disagreeable, it's malignant, it's unpleasant, it's giving pain, it's unhappiness, it's misery. But again, those are things that are more sensory, those are things that are more, that they're not at a moral level. Now, are you saying that it can't affect morality? I'm not saying that. I mean, a lot of different things can take me into an area where I'm making a moral judgment. But what I am saying is this tree didn't sit in the garden as a moral compass. It somehow didn't hold the key to people becoming immoral. What it held was the key to how we then, as people, begin to deal with our senses. Prior to the conversation that we're looking at, prior to that, if you read most commentaries, what most theologians are saying, they will describe this time of man and woman pre the tree. They'll refer to that as like the age of innocence. So they existed in this place of innocence. They're in this place where... They're walking with God, they're talking with God, they're getting assignments, they're learning what God's view of dominion on the earth is, they're, talk, they're learning about, you know, here's this garden, here's your assignment, till it, they're, they're looking at Eden itself and that it expands. We looked at how, you know, from a Hebrew perspective, whatever I can see and, was it, and, with, and is within my scope of dealing with, that's earth. 
They didn't have the sense of, it's a big circle. Or it's a flat plane. Are you flat earthers? All they had was the sense that here, here is the garden till the garden. From their perspective, the garden, that's earth. That's all the earth there is. Now, if I walk over here and my vision now is further, earth has just changed for me. Earth has become bigger. But I didn't think in concepts of a globe like we would think of it now. <clears throat> okay, everybody okay? Getting on the edge. Well, if you'd stop asking questions. See what you started? Yeah, I mean, they, th their assignment, part of it was till the garden, and part of it was to have dominion and subdue the earth. Now, again, when they hear that, they weren't thinking of the whole globe like, man, I got to leave here and go to Australia <laughs> and take dominion, although I wouldn't mind doing that. But they weren't thinking that way. But why they, they were thinking as... As they're expanding out, Earth, their understanding of the Earth just expands with them. So I think, in my opinion, they would have had an understanding, I can walk over there, and I've never been there before, but I can go over there. So they were, I mean, does that, is that what you were, okay. So, the good and evil, that's, that's where, those are the, the, the descriptions of both good and evil, and now we, have, um, now we have this discussion. So the serpent comes and says that God said what he didn't say. And for today, where I want to kind of get to with this idea of the voice is what we are watching unfold, and we know that Eve was deceived. Scripture tells us that she was deceived. Adam is held responsible for the mess, right? So what we're watching, and it, it amazes me, that the Scripture is taking us inside the very first deception and showing us how it happened. So whether, whether the serpent was literal or the serpent represented this discussion that was going on. What I, and I think probably every one of us in this room have had these internal discussions with ourselves on various topics. Where you look at the topic or you, you get into the discussion and the voice, some voice says, yeah, but God said, And we start wondering 
Well, what did God say? And we start having this discussion with ourselves. Well, didn't God say? Well, no, no, no. God actually said, and both are incorrect. I've already taken a huge step into deception because now all my dialogue is based from an incorrective starting point. I mean, how many of us have got into a jam before? Because we started trying to reason through something and that's how our reasoning started and it only got worse the longer we thought about it. And then we start to act on what we think because what I think starts to take on a reality and I start to give life to a reality that is a false reality. And we do all kinds of things with that stuff. If you haven't done it, go out this afternoon and go to one of the local car dealers and act like you want to buy a car. (laughs) You will discover a slope. And next week you can show us your car when you get here. (laughs) And tell us how you can't really afford it. I don't know what I was doing. It seemed like a good idea when the man was talking to me. But the longer I drive it, the sicker I feel. Right? We're all, we've all had those, those things. So here's Eve. Well, here's woman. <clears throat> and this discussion starts to happen. So there's first the challenge. Well, God said that you can't eat of any of the trees. Now, she knew it was, that was a false statement, right? Because she comes back by saying, no, 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 that's not what he said. But she doesn't get that right either. So, so this, this, this deception starts, and it's, it, it starts to build. And so then we come to this place where then... You know, the woman says, you know, we, we, we can, you know, we can't, we're not supposed to eat that tree, but we're also not supposed to touch that tree. What happens in deception and what the scriptures are giving us the, the privilege of coming into, when I move to deception, I start immediately creating another God. Because the minute I say, well, God didn't say that. God actually said this. And I create, and and, uh, in this case, you know, she says, and adds too, I can't touch it. So what was she beginning, what was starting to rise up in her heart and to be manifest for the first time in humanity? that God withholds. You can say God's a good God, but I know that God withholds. I mean, he's given he's us some stuff, yeah, but he's not giving us everything. Because he put this tree here, 
And he told us that we can't even touch it. And so, if, if you can see this with me, what woman is doing is creating a different God than the God that has been walking with them every day in the garden. Because the God that walked with them every day and was speaking, which this is also an interesting, at it, it, this place, God chooses not to speak which doesn't mean he's not there. He's chosen not to speak. Well, why would he do that? Because if we're going to actually experience love, love always has to have the place to choose something contrary to what love would want. And love won't control to stop the bad choice. Otherwise, it's not love. And I would say probably every one of us in the room have had those moments. Right? So God is there, but he's quiet. Now, serpent, woman, there's this dialogue going on, but the... But the interesting thing to me is with the serpent, it only took a couple questions and it shifted her to where she began to think differently than where innocence had kept her. Because living in innocence, she saw God as good and all that she needed was in him. And she had walked with him. She had experience with him. She knew his voice. But now there's this internal voice. See, I, I would submit to us that in order for this to happen, it's not like man or woman did not have the capacity to make another choice. Like, there, there, there's some that would say that in another verse or two, when she actually eats the fruit, that's when something shifted in her and she died. And I'm submitting it was already shifting here. And the capacity to think this way had always been there with both of them. Otherwise, it wouldn't be love. But somehow, on this day, in this place, having a conversation with another voice, whether that voice was internal in her or it was external through a serpent, I don't think it makes much difference to what I'm saying, and you can, you can wrestle that one out. But on this day, this voice that she chose to talk to and reason with, she elevated above the voice that she had been speaking with and she knew, which is idolatry. So we're watching the first time idolatry steps into humanity because she created another God. So when the verse says, 
If you, the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Well, we've, we know they didn't die physically in that moment. So what died? The relationship. The relationship that had been in innocence has now been corrupted. And there's no way for her to get back to a place of innocence. It's shifted. Everybody okay? For me, this just is... We've all have done and do this exact same thing. The problem that was released wasn't wasn't moral in character, although it has moral ramifications, and it does affect the morality. I'm I'm not totally dissing that, but what I'm saying is the death, the shift that took place is innocence is lost. And it, can't be, and it can't be gotten back. And probably most of us in this room, at some point in life, we've made decisions and acted out decisions, and those decisions became very hurtful and harmful, both to us and to those around us. And I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. I mean, I, I just, I can go back and think of things that I've done over the course of my life, that if I could go back and change that slate, I would do it in a minute. And I can't change it. I can't go back to a place of innocence because I already made a decision. Can I be forgiven? Yes, absolutely. Thank God for grace. But just because I receive forgiveness doesn't mean it, I have no memory of what I did. And it doesn't mean that I don't have to now address life through the place that I lost innocence. Somehow I change when I make that decision. And I can't ever go back to where I was before the decision. Are you okay with that? So, so finally today, the other thing I find really interesting, well, so let's say this. So woman, she's having this discussion, and then what happens? She looks at the tree and sees that it's good for food, that it's a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took its fruit and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Dude, what are you thinking? So somehow in this dialogue, Adam... Man was compliant with where things were going. He was okay with it. 
And I don't, I, I wouldn't say that I fully understand everything that was happening in this dynamic between man, woman, and the fruit. Because for me, I don't think that it was a literal piece of fruit. I think the fruit is what we're watching in the discussion. The fruit of this tree, when you start dealing with this tree, the fruit of it is in your life, you are brought down to us very, you're approaching life from a sensory perspective, what pleases my senses, as opposed to what is God saying to my heart? That's the fruit of this tree. Is I, I no longer in innocence can just hear his voice and just respond to his voice. Now when I hear his voice, it gets weighted by what's pleasing to my senses. And probably most of us have got in a jam on that conversation. But with Adam, with man, here's his, it's interesting that, so woman eats the fruit. So she's, we watch deception take its full course. Because the tree didn't show up in the garden the day she had this conversation. The tree had been in the garden. It was in the garden when the garden was made. She's seen that tree all kinds of times. She knew about the tree. Was it? She didn't go. What the tree? You know, to the serpent. What tree are you talking about? Never saw that tree. She knew what tree it was. But after, with deception, and we see that again. We see this all the time. When, when my mind and heart work to a place that I that I now believe something that's not true, and in the process of that, I create another god. who is now looking like what my deception says that God should look like. I'll do something that under other circumstances I wouldn't do. So all of a sudden, the tree that's been in the garden that she's familiar with, for the first time she goes, wow, this is really pleasing. And she looks at that tree and says, nice to look at, it's got some good fruit on it, I'm going to eat that, I'm going to... So she now believes something that's not, that's not within the scope of her relationship with Yahweh Elohim. That's not part of this walking together in the cool of the day. She sees something different. <laughs> And then she turns and she gives that to her husband. And he just ate it. Yeah, I mean, I was fast. At least the woman thought through it a little bit. She arrived at the wrong thing, but dude, you just ate it. Could be, could be. 
Oh, he, no, it does say he was with her. I mean, when she ate. It says she was with her. <laughs> really having trouble with the front row today? Uh, from here on out, we're going to be handing out assigned seat tickets. Now, only kidding. I, I, I think he was there with her. That's the way it, it reads to me. She handed it to him, and he ate. We have the first Adam, and we have the second Adam. I think with the first Adam, he knew what she had done, and he knew the consequences of what she had done. But this was bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And I think he chose to go with her instead of being separated from her. And so he ate. He didn't need, he didn't need to debate it with her. He had already chosen in his heart, I'm going with her. Which is why... With the second Adam, with the second Adam, he also loved his wife, loved his bride. And he chose to go with her. Except the second Adam, we're told, could redeem, could redeem her. The first Adam could only lose his innocence. The second Adam restores innocence. The first Adam, all that we see is out of a place of deception. The second Adam says, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I see my father saying. My father, I've come to this earth to do your will even to the cross. Because for the joy set before him, which was you, his bride, he was willing to die to ransom us out of what had been lost by these two, our first parents, the first Adam. And I'll close with this. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. I like the way John puts this. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. In Christ, innocences can be restored. What does he say? I'm going to take out of you the heart of stone, and I'm going to put in you a heart of flesh. 
There's consequences, but I go beyond that. To the one that the sun sets free, it's free indeed. But what the first Adam couldn't do, the second Adam did completely and with great beauty and splendor. And we're all the product of that. That's it. Man, I really messed up that whiteboard today. So the next time we're together, we're going to be going into what happens next in this, in this story. But let's stand. As again, we're going to, we want Laurie to come up. We're going to take some time and pray for her. Anybody else that needs prayer, please come up, and we're going to pray for you as well. There is, uh, they're serving lunch today, and the folks from Booker Street Church of God in Georgetown, uh, Pastor Morris, and what's his wife's first name? Lorraine. Lorraine. Yeah, Pastor Morris and his wife, they've, they're inviting everybody down at 4 o'clock to their church in Georgetown. I'm actually going to be one of the speakers there this afternoon at 4. Um, the topic is on breaking down barriers. So if you would like to join us at 4, it's Booker Street, Church of God in Georgetown. And if you Google that, you'll find it. Or if you see me go past Royal Farms at Allendale, just follow me. I'll be cruising through there about 20 after 3. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the Redeemer. We thank you, Lord, that you you are at work in us to conform us to your image, to, to bring us to this place where we're no longer carried about by just the sensory desires uh, of our being. But Lord, you're inviting us into a place of relationship where the sensory things are there, you created it, but you bring us into this higher place of understanding you, walking with you, and hearing your voice. Father, I thank you for each one here today, and I just bless everybody throughout the week. Go and do the work of the gospel. And uh, you've already heard all this stuff is going to happen. Men, please get your registration in. If you need prayer, come up. If you don't know how to register, come up. We'll pray for you. Amen.